is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We also have today a reading from the Old Testament, our second lesson. It is from Exodus 20. I'm reading the first six verses, not the first seven. We open our hearts, we keep listening for God's word. Then God spoke all these words. I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water underneath the earth. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing children for the iniquity of parents to the third and fourth generations of those who reject me, but showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. My mother has been doing some significant cleaning out of her home recently. Since my father died about two years ago, she has decided that it's time to go through some boxes and go through some piles of stuff, that, the stuff that accumulates, as you know, across the years. So every time that I've seen my mother across the recent months, she's said, here, Alec, this is yours. <laughs> and she keeps doing that. Some of this is truly junk, uh, trinkets, trophies, like high school notebooks, uh, little toys that were fun to me, for me uh, and, and to me when I was a child, but too precious for her to throw out, it seems, so she wants me to throw them out. But as you might guess, she has also passed on to me some wonderful treasures, some fantastic cherished memories. Among the items that I had I've been given recently by my mother was a letter that I wrote to my mother when I was in the seventh grade. I had gone off to North Carolina to live with my grandmother for some summer weeks. My parents' intent was to give me a little independence. My parents' intent was to allow me to work at a mill, sweeping and cleaning, where one of my uncles had an interest. My parents' intent was to allow me to earn a few dollars and spend a little extra time with my grandparents and with some of my cousins and aunts and uncles. And this letter to my mother, written in the summer when I was in the seventh grade, uh, was written on my grandmother's very formal stationery, and as I read it, it brings to mind a very vivid memory for me. Here's in part what it says. Dear Mama, Mama, that's what I call my grandmother, had a big dinner on Sunday. Murphy's crowd, Robert, Hervey, A.B., Uncle John were there, also Aunt Carolyn, and I listed all my relatives. That afternoon, we went riding. Now, my family knew nothing about horses, and uh, my uncle at some point bought a horse, and 
kept it in a field with another horse. So when I wrote, we went riding, this memory began to reemerge. I didn't ride coaches, I said in the letter. That's my uncle's horse. I was riding a pony, bareback. I told my mother in the letter, and Hervey, how do you like it? Hervey was driving the car. Hervey's about 14 at this time, uh, my older cousin by maybe one year. He was driving down the road, and I was riding on bareback on this horse, something that I was not very adept at. And Hervey turned the corner by the field, I say in the letter, blew the horn, which scared the horse, and it started running. And I wrote eventually, and I was totally misspelled, the horse threw me off. As I read my own words in this letter of more than 40 years ago, that memory seemed as fresh as last week. I recalled vividly the anxiety of getting on a horse. What was I thinking? Bareback in the middle of this field. I didn't know anything about riding horses. I recall the anger toward my boneheaded cousin who's 14 driving the car down the road and blaring the horn, frightening the horse, which frightened me, which got it running and left me ejected in the ground, feeling hurt, feeling frustrated. It was all a disaster. I think about this today as I think about this passage and that memory of riding frantically on a horse through a field bareback, struggling to hang on with my crazy cousin beeping the horn, trying to scare the horse, trying to throw me off. It's really not too far from the frantic sense with which many of us live our lives. Struggling to hang on, feeling afraid, that anxiety, that frenzy of being out of control, that feeling. Racing toward a crash aligns, I think, all of this aligns, I think, with where many of us often find ourselves. So I'm hoping that a brief sermon series on the Ten Commandments where we revisit what God intends for us might help us gain some stability, gain some focus, gain some connections with God and with one another, gain some centering, gain some purpose as we seek to live our lives and hear again what God intends of for us. So today we delve into the first bit of the Ten Commandments. Next week, Uh, commandments 3 through 5, and then the week after that, commandments 6 through 10. So first, a quick summary, a context of our text. The context of what's going on when the Ten Commandments emerge. Exodus 20. Back in the early pages of Genesis, the first pages of the book of the Bible, God calls a people and and calls them to enter into a covenant which is what our choir was singing about, this everlasting covenant. God calls Abraham and Sarah and tells them to go, and they will be a blessing. So the pages of Genesis are about Abraham and Sarah responding to God's call and their descendants emerging as the people of God called to be a blessing to the whole world. By the end of the book of Genesis... God's covenant people, the Israelites, have moved along in their journey and find themselves in Egypt. 
God's covenant people had experienced a famine in their land and they went for trying to find food. In fact, they were prospering in Egypt, even as God's people. They were multiplying in number, it says, growing strong, it says in the first few sentences of Exodus. Yet early in the book of Exodus, a new king emerges in Egypt. And he was fearful of the Israelites, in fact, fearful of their prosperity. So the king of Egypt made God's people slaves in Egypt. They were oppressed. They were forced into making bricks. They were forced into field labor. They were given hard tasks. They were given ruthless treatment. All of this imposed on them. This slavery in Egypt lasts for many years. Finally, God calls Moses to call the people out of Egypt. You know the story. And this call of Moses and God uh, using Moses to lead the people out of Egypt is beautiful and complicated in itself, also found in the early chapters of Exodus. But finally, the people are set free from slavery. It's a dramatic setting free. They have a long period of wandering in the wilderness. God remains with them. God continues to provide for them, sustain them, guide them. Last week, Gail's sermon was one of those stories, the manna story. Finally, God's people are learning again that they are God's covenant people. God has an everlasting covenant with them. And they are consecrated as such. Once again, and God has big plans for them, and he keeps sending them. You're to go to the promised land and be a blessing to the world. This is when Moses receives the Ten Commandments from God at Mount Sinai and shares them with the people in Exodus 20. This is where we connect with the story. Now I want to go back to that anxiety that I had riding a bareback pony as a kid in a field with a blaring horn by my cousin. I'm thinking it's not unlike what the Israelites might have been feeling at Mount Sinai in this new situation in their lives. See, they'd gotten used to a certain way of life, slavery. And now far from Egypt, with a dubious leader in some wilderness land, they're not sure how to live. That breeds anxiety. They were familiar with life's routines, even if it included oppression and ruthless treatment. Finding life anew out of Egypt, what would that look like? That generates particular uncertainty. It may generate fear even even great fear. And it's not so far from the anxieties and the fears that we know and that we can name. The uncertainty of my particular life or your particular life in this day. The challenges facing our children, which we worry about. The anxiety about our economy, which can fill us with anxiety and frenzy. The frenzy we might feel with any number of issues that finally come our way. How do you hold on? How do you deal with the constancy of change? 
What does the future hold for us as individuals? My life, your life, our church life in downtown Richmond, our denomination, our society, our world. What does it hold? Well, today's text begins, Then God spoke these words. I'm the Lord your God. I brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. I guess most of us know a little bit about the Ten Commandments, maybe a little bit, maybe a little bit. Who knows? I wonder how many of us could name all ten of them. Maybe we memorized them at some point of our lives growing up in Sunday school or something. Maybe a few of us could come up with most of them. Maybe all of us could get all of them eventually. But I bet you would agree with me that we've generally forgotten them. When was the last time you reviewed them? When was the last time we said them, recited them together in worship? And I'm also betting that as we come up with the Ten Commandments, trying to recall them, almost all of us would leave off those first words that begin this passage, those first critical words. I'm the Lord your God. I brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. See, that's the crucial context, really. Those are the words that intend to speak first to our ever-peaking anxiety. Before saying anything about how we're to live, God speaks first and foremost to our pending frenzy. I'm the Lord your God. And behind those words are other words. I'll never leave you. Behind those words are other promises. The steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. God's mercy is for you and forever. And behind those words are even more promises. Nothing, not anything in all of life can ever separate us from God's love in Christ Jesus our Lord. How easily, how easily we forget all of this. And how quickly we emerge again into the fear and the frenzy, just holding on to life as it carries us, threatening to dump us and hurt us. Yet, you know, in other ways, we haven't forgotten these words of the Ten Commandments. Even in these particular days, the subject of the Ten Commandments keeps coming up in some courthouse battle or some issue in the public sector, it's a hot subject. Even today in Giles County, this kind of case is going on. Narrows High School, right up the road from where I used to live, had for a long time the Ten Commandments placed on the wall in the central hallway of the school. Should these words be in a public school, this is being tested again. Or or is it a violation of the First Amendment? We have a We've long heard about these cases of the Ten Commandments, so it keeps the subject periodically right in front of us. Here's the main point, at least for me. God offers these words, these 
this wonderful promise and these ten commands to speak to our anxiety and speak to our frenzy to help us know how to live, to center our lives. It's easy to get so focused on debating their place on a certain wall that we miss the whole point altogether. These are guidelines for a constructive life with God and in God's service. When we're fussing about the legalities and the rights and forcing them on other people, we're already drifting away from that constructive life with God and in God's service. Many of us seem so intent on having everyone else read them and having everyone else live by them that we no longer even pay attention to them. These commands, see, want to teach Israel, want to teach God's people, teach us how to live in the new realm. No longer slaves in Egypt, but in a new period of life. We're not learning about life or living that life when we're forcing them on others. These commands want to teach us. They want to infuse in all of us that life is not just about making bricks and producing and consuming, which is what their life was like in Egypt as slaves, but it's about creating harmony with God and with all of our neighbors. The the Israelites had moved from a life of production and consumption only, slaves for Pharaoh. Pharaoh played God. Pharaoh never gave a day off for rest or worship. Pharaoh never respected anyone. And Moses came down from the mountain and Moses repeats these words of God, I'm the Lord your God, I'm the Lord your God. In other words, not Pharaoh. And I have brought you out of Egypt. You didn't get here on your own. And out of the house of slavery, you're not slaves anymore. I'm your God, God says. Do not have others before me. Do not make for yourselves idols for worship in my place. See, All of this are guidelines for the construction of a viable neighborhood as God's people. As God's people who know about God's abundant care, we can get our minds off of anxiety, off of our frenzy, and build a better world. As God's people who have the assurance that God is our God and we are God's people, we can let go of that anxiety and all of it including whether the commandments are on a certain wall and we can settle into lives with God and lives in God's service. That means working for harmony, hope, wherever we find ourselves. It means promoting the peaceable kingdom of God. Let me put this another way if I can. Pharaoh's kingdom of scarcity and oppression is alive and well everywhere we find ourselves. We seem so worried about taxes that our society is now falling apart. We are so worried about losing what we have that we are no longer respecting our neighbors. We're so anxious about our economy that we're getting lost in greed. 
We assume that life is only about production and consumption. We may not be forced into making bricks. We may be freed from working in the fields. But most everything about our lives is about production and consumption. If that's what drives life, production and consumption only, we're going to find ourselves endlessly restless and perpetually anxious. We even transfer this to our kids, no matter how old they are. Make sure they get the best care so they can get into the best, best preschool, so they can get into the best elementary school, so they can get into the best junior high and high schools so and get the best college and so they can become lives of production and consumption too. And it's all about this cycle of endless restlessness and perpetual anxiety. The scriptures say, and the scriptures keep saying, there's an alternative. There is an alternative. The alternative, alternative requires a departure. A going away from. And the biblical word for that is exodus. Exodus. We're invited to go an alternative way from restlessness and anxiety. From endless production and consumption. And it moves us to the kingdom of God. Moses echoes God. I'm the Lord your God. I brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. And it's an invitation. It's an invitation to find life not in anxiety, not in frenzy, but in God. And in serving God's world. That's what the commandments are trying to teach us. Finding a life in loving God and in neighborliness. We find it not in endless restlessness, not in perpetual anxiety, but in departing from that, exodus from that, to lives rooted in God and living as God's people in the world as neighbors. So it goes from anxiety to abundance. That's the invitation. That's how the commandments want to guide us, from fretting and barely holding on, worrying about crashing, to lives rooted in God's steadfast love that never leaves us and God's wonderful promises and purposes that bring life and hope and wholeness to us and to our world. That's what the Ten Commandments want to teach us. We look forward to thinking and growing and learning about this in the coming days that our lives will be enriched, enriched in God's promises and enriched in God's purposes that call us to be God's people in Second, in downtown Richmond, a light in the city and a light to the whole world. May God bless us on this continuing journey of living and serving our God. Alleluia. Amen. Let us pray. We believe, O oh God, help our unbelief and keep shaping us and molding us as we follow Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.